Okay, well, welcome again, everybody. I trust that you're all comfortable. I know we've got some people in the foyer. Hello, guys, in the foyer. <laughs> you guys okay? You can hear at the back. Hope you're all comfortable. It's nice to have a, a full building this morning. And uh, a special warm welcome to all of those that are visiting us today. And um, it's, we're just so grateful that you chose to be with Open Skies this morning. But also trust that you'll be here next week. Um, because, uh, you know, being a Christian or, you know, going to church is not just kind of a, a once-off thing, but it's, it's a journey. It's a, we're all on a spiritual journey. So, um, but trust that you feel at home today and just enjoy the service with us. We're not going to keep you long. It's a little bit of a, a shorter service today, so you can get back to your plans for, for lunch and um, Easter eggs. My favorite eggs are those white ones. So if anyone's got some spare ones lying around... Uh, <laughs> That'd be, that'd be great. Uh, the, the beacon ones, but now Woolworths have, Woolworths have made those smaller ones, so you can put the whole thing in your mouth a lot easier than before. <laughs> Anyone do that? Who else does that? Put the whole thing in their mouth? Yeah, okay. There's only like one or two honest people in church here today, but anyway. Um, so as I said, we are on week three of a series called The Three Nails, and we looked at some imagery of, of the three. Obviously, there's a lot of that in the Bible. You see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You see um, uh, the three uh, people on the cross. So there was Jesus and the, the two thieves either side. We looked at that. And last week I had my friend, uh, Yaku, uh, all the way from Canada, actually. And his name's Yaku, uh, but he's South African from uh, Nelspreet. That's why uh, his name's Yaku. But anyway, and he spoke on the second nail and he, he spoke about Jesus being a man of, of sorrows, a man of suffering. And today we're going to look at obviously obviously the cross, but the fact that Jesus is not on the cross anymore. That's why we took him off, because he was hanging on the cross. Now he is off the cross and next to me. Uh, but this is a very special painting. A friend of mine um, uh, who lives in Nashville actually painted this, and I have it in my office. It's, it's really beautiful, don't you think? Incredible. Um, and uh, we're going to celebrate the risen Lord today. So what we're going to look at just very briefly is, for those of you who maybe aren't too familiar with the Bible, um, Jesus lived about 33 years, and the Gospels, which is the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are four accounts of Jesus' life. They, they were disciples, and they wrote accounts of Jesus' life, and many of them overlap in many ways, but some of them have slightly different angles because we, we're all different, and we, all, we perceive things differently. It, it doesn't mean that uh, the truth varies, but it's just the way that it is viewed. And a third of the Gospels, so across the Gospels, speak about the last week, actually, of Jesus' life, which they talk about the Holy Week, um, and in John, uh, even more. So a third of the Gospels just speaks about the, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the, the cross is the crux, the cornerstone of the Christian faith. And, and it's quite amazing uh, how it's become such a symbol of Christianity. Uh, maybe a show of hands, anyone wearing a cross today on them, like in the earring or around their neck? Okay, quite a few of you guys. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but it's pretty strange. Like if I had an electric chair wrapped around my neck today or a, I don't know, a gas chamber or a noose, it would be pretty strange. And um, it's, it was a form of execution, uh, one of the most cruel forms, but the cross symbolizes what Jesus did for us. So what we're going to look at today, though, is the resurrection. We've sung happy day. It's a happy day today. It's actually not a sad day. Uh, Good Friday. I, I did a post on Friday because it, it was, wasn't good for Jesus, but it was good for us. But Jesus died for us. I'll explain a little bit about that in a moment. But he rose again on the third day, which is the Sunday. And I want to pick up on that account and something that I discovered this past week. I actually had so many different angles for this message going around my mind the last couple of weeks, but I've landed on something that I think 
is maybe something you haven't heard before, particularly on Easter, but I'm excited about it. So John 20 from verse 1, it'll be up on the screens and you can follow with me. So it says here, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. Now, uh, for those of you who know me, well, I... I don't like to be too serious and laugh. I mean, we've got, to, we've got to laugh a little bit, okay? We've got to have a little bit of humor. And actually, when I read the scriptures, there's actually a lot of humor in the scriptures. So the guy writing this is John. And look what he says here. She ran and found Simon Peter, who's one of the disciples, and the other disciple, which is actually himself. He's referring to himself there. The one whom Jesus loved. I like how he just throws it in there, you know? <laughs> so kind of... You know, just get over yourself. Jesus said that, that he, he died for all. He loves all. He says, just the one whom Jesus loved. Uh, she said that they had taken the Lord's body out of the tomb. At this stage, they thought the body of Jesus had been stolen. Um, and it says, and we don't know where they've put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I love that. Just a bit of competition. Anyone, anyone competitive? Yeah, okay. Uh, my wife doesn't like to say she's competitive, but she actually is. And we often run together. So the other day, we had about like 400 meters at home. I was like, come on, Miss Competitive, and race me. But she was like running. But then as we got closer, she started like trying to push, you know, just a little bit of a competitiveness in her. But I love this. Even in John himself, uh, it says they were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first, just in case you missed it. Um, I love that the grace of God, like even on John, who wrote a lot of the Bible, um, you know, they allow him to put it in there. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went in, just in case you know Simon Peter arrived after him. Uh, he also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. So it was almost like an imploded cocoon. Um, and that's when they started to realize that they didn't steal his body but he, a miracle had taken place. And then it says this, and I'm gonna come back to the, the little cloth, the, the headpiece that was folded up, lying apart. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first, in case you forgot that he also won, also went in and he saw and he believed. And maybe we should just take a moment, I know we've already had a moment today, but just to celebrate the risen Jesus today, hey? Should we celebrate that? I think he saw and he believed because he wasn't there. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. So obviously they were really upset. They were sad. These were his friends and that hadn't quite yet clicked until that very moment right there. Now, in preparing for this, I actually read the uh, resurrection account in all the Gospels, so in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just to get some, some understanding around this. Um, and John, uh, in chapter 20 and 21, focuses on, on not just the resurrection, but a lot of what happened after that. There, there's a focus on something else that I've never quite seen before, and that's the fact that Jesus appeared to people. So at this stage, they hadn't yet seen him. They just saw that he was not there. But Jesus then appears to people. They say that he appeared to more than 500 people on at least 11 separate occasions. I don't know if you know that. He didn't just ascend to heaven straight away, but he appeared in bodily form to people. And I was thinking about this, 
and wondering if there's something in this. I think it shows the heart of God that he died not so that he could disappear and be this distant God like many of the other gods that people on the earth today serve that are dead and not alive. But Jesus rose again so that he could show himself and appear to every single one of us. And you see him modeling this and it shows the heart of God in the word. He spent his time showing up to people and he's still doing it today. He's even with us right now today. Now to have a little bit of fun again, if you died and then rose again, maybe you would, well, if you were Jesus uh, in, in, in that fact, who would you want to appear to first? I don't know if you've thought about that before. Maybe if I was Jesus, I probably would have, I don't know, first gone to my mom, because the last time I saw my mom, she was crying at the cross. Do you remember that? This is in the account of Jesus. And maybe you say, Mom, I'm okay, you know, because mom was really upset. But then I, I wouldn't mind going, if I was Jesus, to Pilate. <laughs> the guy who convicted Jesus. Um, and uh, in, in one of the other accounts, I think it's in Matthew, but Pilate's wife is very clear and, and says, do not convict this man. I, I wouldn't mind going to Pilate and just saying, hey, bro, you, you, you tried, but here I am. You know, you were wrong. Because <laughs> they were all saying that he claims, he's a mere man, but he claims to be God. He, he, he can't be God, crucify him. I don't know. Maybe that's just the, 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 the bad side of me. Go to Pilate and just say hello. What about some of the, um, the, the Jewish leaders who were part of that crowd? You got the Pharisees and then you had the Sadducees. So the Pharisees were the self-righteous ones. They were the ones wanting to crucify him. But I don't know if you know this. Then they, were the, they called them the Sadducees, weird name. And the Sadducees didn't believe in, in resurrection. They didn't believe in body form resurrection. So if I was Jesus, I might just like to go up there and go, boo. Like, here I am. I don't know. <laughs> but what's interesting is Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't appear to the, the obvious ones or out of any vengeance in his heart or getting back at. It's crazy how us as humans are often like that. But he appears to the unlikely people, the people like you and I. And he's still appearing to people like you and I today. And the title of my message is basically he's still showing up. And the first person that he shows himself to is Mary. And let's pick up this section of scripture here in John 20, verse 11. It says, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and she wept. I just want to say this for some of you today, that Jesus sees your hurt. He sees your pain. He sees your struggle. In actual fact, if you look at the Beatitudes, he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will see God. And we did a Beatitudes series last year where we said that there is a reserved facet of God for those that go through difficulty. You see God, a piece of God that others don't ever get to experience or see because of what you are going through. And I wanna say that to you today on Easter Sunday, that Jesus sees you. And the first person that he appeared to was Mary who was crying and she was weeping. Look at what happens. She saw two white robed angels. So this is before John and the other disciple 
came to the tomb, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, he says, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Jesus, sorry, because they have taken my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw something standing there, and it was Jesus. But she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? And she thought it was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. She hadn't quite yet clicked. She was just distraught. And then he says, Mary, Jesus says, calls her by name. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which means teacher in Hebrew. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to the Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. So the first person that Jesus appears to in bodily form was Mary. And my point today out of, as we look at the, the aspects of three, is the first person is the brokenhearted, that Jesus is showing up and still showing up today to the brokenhearted. He is close to the brokenhearted. He is close to the hurting, to those that are going through difficulty. In actual fact, Psalm 34, verse 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. So understand this today. Heaven is attracted to the brokenhearted, to the hurting. He says that he will come and save those who have a crushed spirit. And if you are going through some kind of difficulty, as I think many of us do a lot of the time, I mean, this side of eternity, life is challenging, life is difficult, but something very specific, very difficult that you're going through, just my, my encouragement to you today is that Jesus isn't as far away as you think, so look for him. Jesus isn't as far away as you think, so look for him. And he will show up in the most unlikely places and even so much so, Mary didn't even recognize him. But then John highlights three people in, in the gospel. So the first was Mary. The second is Mr. Doubting Thomas. Have you heard of Doubting Thomas before? We, we remember him 2,000 years later just for the fact that he doubted, the poor guy. Imagine just being known as Doubting Thomas your whole life, you know? But it's, that, that's what he was famous for. Now, just some context there. Jesus appears to a whole group of people, but Thomas wasn't there. He didn't show up. Thomas was, I don't know, maybe disillusioned. He was upset. His Lord, his friend had died. Because it says here in John 20, verse 24, it says, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, Thomas nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came in. So he, he must have felt like he missed out, Okay. And as humans usually do and are, is the other guys said to him, they told him, we have seen the Lord. I don't know how, in which context they said that, but they might have like, I don't know, just said, hey, buddy, you missed out. We, we saw the Lord. You didn't. You weren't there. Anyone with FOMO here? I've got serious FOMO. Like, if I miss out on something, and that's why I encourage people to come to church, because I'm like, man, if, if someone's not here, I'm like, you, you missed out, okay? And in this Story, Thomas misses out. He was not there and he didn't see the Lord. We have seen the Lord, but he replied, I won't believe, this is Thomas saying, it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers into them and place my hand 
into the wound in his side. This is Thomas saying, well, you may have seen him, but I'm not going to believe until I see him for real and I can actually put my finger in his hand and my hand in his side. I, I want to see the scars and then I'll believe. He was almost like drawing a line in the sand. And maybe that's even some of you here today. You're like, oh, I'm not quite sure about this whole Jesus thing, you know, and I'm not sure if I kind of buy it all. I'm gonna draw a line in the sand. I wanna, I wanna see God for myself. And that's okay. Because Jesus isn't turned off by your doubts. Jesus was not turned off by Thomas's doubts because he loved Thomas so much. And listen to this. He intentionally goes back for Thomas one week later to show himself to Thomas. This is verse 26 of John 20. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time, Thomas was with him. He didn't miss out this time. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. So that means he, he literally just appeared in the room with the doors locked. He, he walked through the walls, and that's why this next line is quite important, because he says, peace be with you. They must have been absolutely terrified, you know? This guy just walks through the walls. This is not David copied. Copperfield stuff here. This is, this is for real. There's always trickery behind all of those things. There's illusions. Jesus walks through the walls and he said, th then he said to Thomas, and it's amazing how he just goes straight to Thomas, even though Thomas was doubting and he knew what Thomas was thinking many times, even uh, before Jesus resurrected, he said, knowing their thoughts. And then he goes straight to Thomas and he says, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. And I like this, that he, Jesus takes a step to Thomas, but then he also asks Thomas to take a step towards him. It's got to be a two-way thing, because I believe that Jesus has done all that he needs to do to prove himself to all of us. He doesn't actually need to do anything more, but it's about us taking that step. Thomas actually had to take his hand and put it in his sight. Don't be faithless any longer, but believe. And then Thomas, after seeing this and experiencing this, he says, my Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those, and that's referring to you and I, who believe without seeing me. We haven't had the privilege to see God, Jesus, in bodily form. But Jesus calls you blessed if you believe and have not yet seen, which is quite amazing. And he's basically speaking that specifically to many of us who are skeptical or those that are just not quite sure about all of this, that are doubting. So first, he appears to the hurting, the brokenhearted. Second, he appears is to the doubting. And I just want to say, again, as a word of encouragement, Jesus isn't bothered by your doubts. So reach out for him. Just reach out for him. And then the last one that John's gospel highlights, now remember, of all these appearances, it just shows and proves the heart of God, that he wants to meet with people. He, he wants to appear. He wants to show up and have interaction, have relationship with people. It's not just about the resurrection today, but it's the fact that Jesus is alive, and the reason he's alive is because he wants to have a relationship with us. The third is, so the first is the hurting. The second is the doubting. The third is the failure. And I'm sure those of you familiar with scripture who know who I'm talking about, and that is Peter. Peter had a bad weekend. On the Thursday night of the Last Supper, 
They were all confessing their undying, unconditional love towards Jesus. And we'll never desert you. We'll never leave you. I'll never let you down. And Jesus looks at Peter with compassion and love in his eyes. And he says, by the time it's morning, before the cock crows three times, you will have denied me three times. And he was like, no, no, never. You, you got this wrong. I'm never going to do that. And Peter must have been hell of a disappointed in himself. Felt like he had let his Lord down because he had denied him three times. And Jesus' words were true. And you can imagine Peter, and maybe even you, when you feel, feel like you've been a disappointment to someone, you don't want to look at them in the eyes. You don't want to see them. You want to just kind of shy away. And how often do we do that even with God? When we mess up, we've done something wrong, something we shouldn't have done, something we've said. We have this guilt and the shame that we carry. And we feel like we can't talk to God. Do you know how many people, friends, will stay away from church today because they feel like God hates them? That they can't show up in church. I've honestly had people tell me that, oh, I can't come to church, I'll get struck by lightning. They honestly believe that. But you see the contrary in the Word of God. And you think your failure drives Jesus away. In fact, it only draws Jesus closer to you. Now what's interesting in the Gospel of Mark, not in John, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Mary and the two disciples, he actually says, go and call the disciples, and you know, very specifically he mentions, and Peter. Peter was one of the disciples. But he says, go call the disciples and Peter. Because Peter probably would have felt like he was not a disciple anymore, having denied Jesus, having been a failure. Like many of us sometimes feel, like I don't even know if I'm a Christian. But he says, go call the disciples and Peter. See, Jesus knew the condition he was in because of his failure. He knew that he must have been disappointed. He had missed his appointment. And the, the meaning of disappointment really is the gap between expectation and reality. But don't miss this. If God knows everything, there can't be a gap then with God because he knows everything anyway. It, it, the, I don't think that God can be disappointed in you because he already knows what you're gonna do and what you've, what you've already done. And he's already closed the gap for us. I illustrated this a couple of Sunday nights ago. I forgot to do it in the morning. But there's us. There's our sin, our disappointment, our hurt, our brokenness, our shame, all the stuff we've done that is wrong. And we feel cut off from God. That's how many people feel. But Jesus comes to earth, identifies as a human. That's why he had to come here. He had to humble himself. He then takes the sin of the world, all our failure, upon his shoulders, and that's why for the first time in his life, he felt cut off from God. That's why at the cross, before he died, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he had never experienced a cutting off from God. But where does it leave us? It leaves us free. And Peter, that day, had a revelation of that, that he was free. He didn't need to be held down by his disappointment. So he comes for the crying, the hurting, he comes for the doubting, and he comes for the failures. Now look at this. In John 21, verse 15, we're gonna see the interaction that Jesus has with Peter. Three interactions that are very specific. Now to give you some context before I read this, he uses the word love. And I did a little bit of a study on this a couple days ago. So you get four types of love 
Okay, so when we read the word love in the Bible, it's just got one word. Um, like the word praise, there's multiple Hebrew words. But in, uh, the, the New Testament is pro- predominantly written in Greek, and there's four Greek words for love. I'm sure you're familiar with them. I've heard them. There's storge, which is the kind of parent-child love. There's eros, which is the erotic love or a physical love. Then you get filia love, which is the friendship, the brotherly love. But then you get agape love, which is sacrificial, unconditional love. Now, I've never seen this before, but look at this. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter. So they had some breakfast together. They had some fish together. So he appears to them again. And then he says, Simon, son of John. So that was his other name. His name was Simon Peter. It's so confusing. These guys in the Bible, they all had like multiple different names, okay? But so that was Simon Peter. He says to him this, do you love me more than these? And he uses the word agape in the original. I looked it up. Do you love me unconditionally? And Peter must have felt a little ashamed because I just denied you. And he says this, yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. And guess what word he uses for love there? He actually uses filia. It's a different word. He says, you, you know I love you. And then Jesus said, well, that's okay. It doesn't disqualify you for the work. He says, then feed my lambs. Then Jesus told him, and he repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? You know when you, as parents, discipline your, your kids, you, you ask a question and then they answer, but not the, the, the answer that you, to the question that you ask them. Are, are you with me? You can kind of feel like Peter just a little bit like backing off here because he knows he's disappointed God. Well, this is what he thinks. And he asks him again, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I do. He says, you know I love you. He uses filia and Jesus uses agape. Then take care of my sheep. Jesus said a third time, and he asked him. Now, this is what I love. Go look it up if you are interested in this stuff. It's so powerful. Simon, son of John, do you love me? What love, original Greek, do you think he used there? Philia. He came to where Peter was at. Do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus had asked the question three times. And he said, Lord, you know everything. (laughs) You know that I love you. And he uses filia. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. But what I love about this, you might not kind of see the, the vastness and just how incredible this is, but Jesus comes to where you are at. When you've failed and messed up, he will still come to you. He wants to show himself to you where you're at. And he uses the word filia because he knew that Peter loved him that way. Maybe not agape love, which was the unconditional love because he had felt like he had let him down. And he came to where Peter was at. He's not giving up on you just because you've made a mistake. And my encouragement to you today is Jesus isn't giving up on you. So love him. Just love him. Put him first in your life. And this, as we kind of wrap up, is what the resurrection is all about. It's not just the day where Jesus rose from the dead, but it's the day where he makes himself real to you and I. He's not this distant God. Many times I speak to people that don't consider themselves Christians or maybe they're religious Christians. They call him the man upstairs. He's not the man upstairs. He's here today, alive, living with you and I, and he wants 
to know you and he wants to show himself to you. And when I looked at these three accounts, I was like, has this always been God's plan? Has this always been his heart? And very quickly, I'm gonna look at the beginning of the Bible and at the end. The first story in the Bible, and I think many of us are familiar with this, is in Genesis 3, when they had messed up, when they had failed, Adam and Eve. And it says, at that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breeze were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. That's what we do when we feel like we've messed up. We, we hide. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He, he just wanted to see them. He wanted to be with them. And that's been his heart right from the beginning of time. And he's saying to you today, where are you? He's calling out to you today. He knows where you are anyway, but he is just wanting to interact with you. And then if you go to the last story in the Bible, so you see it after the resurrection, you see it in the beginning, and then you see it at the end. This is right at the end. This is John speaking again, and he, he writes a revelation of what is to come. And in Revelation 3.20, he says this, look, this is Jesus speaking, I stand at the door and I knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Filiae. There's nothing more special with friends and family gathering over a meal together. And that's what many of you guys are gonna do today. But that's what Jesus wants to symbolically do with each and every one of us. We don't have to close the door of our life to him. He says he stands at the door and knocks. He's a gentleman, he won't force his way in. But he wants to come in and meet with you. God today is still making appearances. He still wants to show up. He is reaching out. And as we end this today, you know, I was thinking, and it was one of the directions I wanted to take in the message with the third nail where his feet were bound and that he took the third nail for us through the front here and out the back through the Achilles. You can imagine the, the agony and the pain of that. But I was thinking, you know, how limited we are when our feet are bound. Have you ever done one of those uh, races, uh, you know, with your kids at school and you've got to either do the, you know, tie the leg to, what's it called, the three-legged race or whatever it is, you know, and you, it's so difficult to actually function and, and, and kind of operate in life. And many of us are so hamstrung and we so bound because there's so much stuff that we hang on to. And God wants to set us free of that. And I believe that when he took that third nail for us on the cross, that he has set us free. He took all of that on him. All our failure, all our guilt, all our shame, all our doubting, all our hurting, he took it on himself. And I believe today he's unlocked that in many of us and we've got to shake ourselves free of that. I thought about breaking out in the song, take the shackles off my feet so I can dance, but maybe not. And I'll end with this. I think about three years ago, I mentioned and alluded to it in one of our lockdown services, but maybe there were only two of you watching. So I'll share this. I love this. I said I would come back to it. Jesus is showing up today, and one day he's gonna come back in bodily form. It says this, then Simon Peter arrived and went inside, and he noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. 
Very significant. Maybe you might not understand this. But in Jewish culture, it says everything. And I found this uh, on Thursday. I was just reading up about this. Read it with me. Well, you don't have to read it out loud, but listen to this. I think it's up on the screen. In order to understand the significance of the folded napkin, we need to understand a little bit about Hebrew tradition of that day. The folded napkin had to do with the master and the servant. And every Jewish boy knew this tradition. When the servant set the dinner table for the master, he made sure that it was exactly the way the master wanted it. The table was furnished perfectly, and then the servant would wait just out of sight until the master had finished eating. The servant would not dare touch the table until the master was finished. Now, if the master was finished eating, he would rise from the table, wipe his fingers and his mouth, clean his beard, and then wipe up the, the napkin, so he would just close it up like this, and then toss it onto the table. The servant would then know to clear the table. For in those days, the weighted napkin meant, I am finished. But if the master got up from the table, folded his napkin, and laid it beside his plate, the servant would not dare touch the table. Because the folded napkin meant, I'm coming back. Let us be reminded daily during this post-Easter season, Jesus Christ is not finished. He is coming back for his faithful servants within his church. So Jesus is still showing up today and he will show up again in bodily form one day. I promise you now, he is coming back to fetch his bride, his church, his people. And he fetches those that have opened the door of their heart to him, that have relationship with him. That's what the Bible says. Isn't it powerful? Jesus is coming back. And it's hugely symbolic why he folded that, that napkin. Can we pray? Father, thank you so much for your word. It's so powerful. And as we've looked at these stories today, um, we've learned so much. I know I did. God, thank you that your heart is always to show up to your people. And that's why you rose again from the dead. To show up to people, normal people, to us. And today, this Easter Sunday, I pray that you would show up to, to every single one of us sitting in this room today. By your Holy Spirit, would you come and as we open up our hearts to you, open the door of our life to you, God, that you would come in, meet with us, and that we could have communion with you. Thank you that your heart is to know us and for us to know you. And I'm gonna pray a prayer and you can just pray it along with me. And it's a prayer commitment. If you don't know Jesus, and you'd like to know him and open the door of your life, you can just pray this and, and just pray this in your heart. Dear God, I pray that you would come and live in my heart today, that you would wash me clean. I'm sorry for all my guilt and my shame, my brokenness, my hurt, all that I've done which is wrong, and I ask you to forgive me. I don't wanna carry that around anymore. And God, I ask you today to come and live in my heart by your spirit and change me and make me into the person that you want me to be. I believe that you died for me and that you rose again for me. 
And today, God, I want to start a journey with you, a real relationship with you, because you are a real God. And I want to put you first in my life. And I want to live a life that honors you, this side of eternity. And I am hopeful and excited for the day that you will come back and fetch your church, that we could live in eternity with you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. So what we're gonna do as we end the service today, I told you it'd be a little shorter than normal, but I think after something like that, I think it, it uh, deserves a response from us. And again, had multiple different ways to end the service. For the last two weeks, we've been closing with like an, a stripped down acoustic song. And um, there was no better song that came to my mind as I was taking a run the other day than uh, a song that Graydon and Tom wrote, At the Cross, which is on our new 24 Skies record. Now, the funny thing is, I don't know how to play it. So I'm gonna rather let Graydon play it, but he's not here in person, <laughs> okay? But next week, Sunday night, you gotta be here because he will play it in person. So it's a little bit of a teaser as well. But the song is just so beautiful. It speaks about at the cross, I find new meaning. And I really believe on this Easter Sunday that you found new meaning in what the cross is. I really hope that you have. And what we're gonna do is there is a little card on your chair. Maybe you're sitting on it and you haven't seen it. What I want you to do is uh, the team are gonna come and put the cross right here in the middle. And if you feel you'd like to do this, if you feel you identified with some of the stuff that I was saying today with the hurt, the brokenness, the shame, the guilt, the doubting, or whatever it is, something that you have felt has separated you between God, we're gonna do something pretty symbolic today. You don't have to do it, but I'd love for you to do it. Is you don't write your name on it. You just write whatever that thing is. It can be as broad or as detailed as you like. And you're gonna come and uh, you are gonna hang it on that cross. I think it's gonna be hugely symbolic because you have gotta leave that stuff behind today. Many of you are living your lives with your feet bound when Jesus took that for you. And he wants you to unlock Something. Well, he's unlocked it for us. We need to sh shake ourselves free. And I just think if we can come, uh, there's hopefully enough nails on here. I just want you to hang it on here. And when you walk out these doors today, you walk out free. Is that okay? Do you want to live free or do you want to live bound? Jesus took it all for you. And if you today really have felt something significant and you're not part of a church, I really encourage you to find a church um, that you can kind of continue in this freedom because God wants to, us to live life to the full here, this side of eternity, right? Find a church. If it's this church, we'd be so grateful. And um, you can also just, so come and hang it there and then grab communion. If you don't want to hang anything here, you can just come and grab communion. And um, this is it's called a miracle meal. Pre, after COVID, we, we use these things now. How's this? A friend of mine, Dom, who lives in the States now, actually uh, started this business <laughs> just before COVID. How, how's that for a, a blessing? Anyway, um, but uh, it's, it's very simple. You, there's two um, things. You peel the top one and there's a wafer in there. And uh, then obviously you can have the grape juice in there. Um, it's a little sweet, but we get the picture anyway. We do this to remember God, remember what he did for us. So what I want you to do is to take a moment, then the song's gonna play. And at any stage of the song, you can come on up, take communion, uh, hang whatever you want to here, and then you can just go take a seat and then we will end the service. Is that okay? Awesome, let's do that. Let's take a moment maybe just to write something down. <laughs> 